0: Our series has been called The Return of the Thing, and it's all about the fact that Satan has a plan not only to ruin your day, but he's got a plan to destroy your life. And from the very first talk, we got an idea about how to deal with him, because the Bible says if we know how he's thinking, he'll never get the advantage of us. So for the last five weeks, we've tried to learn how he thoughts, how he thinks. Whoa, what a misfire. Um, but you know, here's the thing. It's true that he has plans to ruin my life and your life, but I'll tell you what he'd like to do more than anything else. He'd like to drag me to hell, and he'd like to drag you to hell. And so today we're going to talk about a story, and this is an important topic. In fact, you know, one of the big problems that we have in our culture today is uh, we don't take seriously what God takes seriously, and we think things are important that God doesn't take seriously at all. And so this is one of those things that God takes really seriously, and so should you and I. And a whole lot of things that people talk and teach about hell are not really biblically accurate. So today we're going to dial it in, and we're going to learn what we need to know, okay? Okay. Here's the deal. This is a story told by Jesus. I'm going to read it to you, and we'll refer back to it several times. Jesus is going to tell us a story about a guy who died and went to heaven and a guy who died and went to hell. Here we go. Ready? There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid. The word laid there means flung. didn't know what else to do with him. You'll see why in a minute. I mean, it wasn't like they just took him there and said, hey, why don't you have a seat here? They just tossed him. He can't walk. They flung him at the rich man's gate. His, a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what? Some of you have a translation that says crumbs. Let me, let me tell you what that means. Rich people back in the day, they didn't use napkins like we do. They used bread. So if you need to wipe your hands or wipe your mouth, you just tear off a piece of bread because you're rich. After all, you can afford to. You tear off a piece of bread, wipe your mouth, wipe your hands, toss it on the table for the dogs, or toss it out in the street. So this is what Lazarus is asking for. He's asking for the stuff that's normally thrown to the dogs, the stuff that people have used to wipe their hands and mouth on. So there you go. The Bible tells us that he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Now, this next expression is often misunderstood. It says, even the dogs came and licked his sores. When I was a kid growing up, I used to hear preachers say, the only comfort that Lazarus has were the dogs that came and licked their sores. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. I think he's saying Lazarus had to fight the dogs for the scraps. And dogs in those days were not considered like sweet little pets like we consider them. They roamed in streets. They were, they were mangy. They were, they were basically just wild animals. And so for them to come for, to the Jewish mind in those days, for a dog to come and lick one's source would have been the ultimate, ultimate uh, just ab- abomination. So there you have it. Okay? Now, look, verse 22. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. That's a, a euphemism for paradise. So it also means the presence of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus, send Lazarus, that's interesting. We'll get back to that. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received his bad things. But now... He is comforted here, and you are in agony. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm, and here is the word I'm going to come back to probably several times in the text, that has been fixed. Remember that, fixed. This space, this gap has been fixed. So that those who would go from here, heaven to you, hell, cannot, nor can anyone cross over from hell to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Well, to the Jewish mind in those days, that was the Bible. That's basically what he said. They have the Bible. Let them listen. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if somebody from the dead goes to them, they will change their minds. They'll repent. He said to him, this is Abraham talking, If they don't listen to the Bible they won't be convinced that somebody rises from the dead. Now, one of the things I wanna make real clear from the outset is a lot of people think that hell is Satan's kingdom. In other words, you know, if anybody goes to hell, Satan is gonna be there and he's gonna to torture people with his pitchfork, stupid, 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 stupid. Nowhere close. Hell is not Satan's kingdom. It's where he's going to be punished. Listen to this. In Matthew 25, 41, talking about hell, Jesus said, Then God will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed. Look at this line. Into the eternal fire prepared. Hell, that eternal fire fire is hell. Prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, it's a weird thing when people go to hell because hell wasn't made for people. People. You know, we're building a, a nursery over here. It's prepared for babies. We had 500 babies for Easter. We need, we need baby space. This is going to be a state-of-the-art nursery. I mean, I, I look at these plans and think, wow, you know, if you're between zero and two years old, it's going to be paradise. <laughs> but if you came in one day and you found armed soldiers in that place, you would think, this doesn't make any sense. This place was prepared for babies. Something has overridden the will of the people who built the building. So when you look at people going to hell, you have to understand they're not there because God wants them to go. I mean, people have asked me through the years, how would God send anybody to hell? It doesn't send anybody to hell. They, they override God's will. God's will was that that place would be for Satan and his angels, but people do something that overrides what God wants, and that's what hell is all about. Well, in anyway, Jesus tells a story about two guys. And they were living in close proximity on the earth in very different situations. But then death comes along and reverses those situations. There's a guy named Lazarus. His name means God is my help, although people who saw him might have laughed at that, thinking God didn't seem to be helping him. But there's Lazarus, this poor street person, this beggar who's sick, can't walk, can't do anything, can't work, struggling to get the bread that people have wiped their hands on. And then there's this rich man, and he goes to hell. So today, I just want to see what we can learn from Jesus' story. Let's unpack it. The first thing that this story does is it blows out of the water a theological myth. Now, you know here at New Spring, I don't like to use theological terms, but I need to use one right now. There is a belief system called universalism. And universalism has the idea that everybody goes to heaven. You know, if you're from the 80s, all dogs go to heaven. It's sort of like everybody goes to heaven. Everybody goes to a better place. You know, God is love and God loves everybody. So when people die, they all go to, quote, a better place. Everybody goes to heaven. And some manifestations of universalism can say, well, people go into some punishment in the afterlife, but ultimately love wins. Uh, there was a pastor of a megachurch. He was a little ambiguous on what he actually believed, but he inferred that at the end, everybody goes to heaven because love wins. God is love and love wins. Well, let's talk about that for just a few moments. I would argue that love is already one. When God loved the world a world full of sinners, and sent his only son, love one. When Jesus was willing to come to the earth and be born to a peasant couple and live in poverty, I would say love one. When the world that he came to rejected him, I would say, and he didn't quit, I would say love one. When he knelt in Gethsemane and he sweat great drops of blood and agony, the fact that he didn't stand to his feet and say trip's over, I would say love one. For him to hang on a cross for six hours suspended between heaven and earth and and experience unbelievable, unimaginable physical horrors on top of having the rejection of God the Father and him stay there and not call 72,000 angels to get him off the cross like he said he could have done, I would say love won. So for any sappy postmodern preacher who writes a book that says love won, let me just suggest to you that love is already won. The question is will I win and will you win? Well, universalism is kind of knocked out of this because here's a guy who goes to hell and a guy who goes to heaven, and you know each learns that they can't change their situation. But even though there's no such thing as universalism, I find five things that are universal about the afterlife, whether a person's going to heaven or hell. So let's talk about those. Because when you read this story, there are five things to happen to both of these guys, heaven and hell, that are really basically the same. Here we go. Ready for this? When you die, instantly, you're going wherever you're going. Think about this. This whole story that Jesus told is in past tense. He said, the rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. Lazarus died. Angels carried him to heaven. So whenever you die, you're going wherever you're going. If you're a God follower, this is awesome. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul talks about being absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's really, really cool. Okay. Now the second thing I noticed, this universal, is that people keep their identities. You know, there are, there are schools of religion that teach that when you come back, you come back in some kind of life form, and, and maybe you'll be somebody else in the afterlife. Well, this is really clear. Jesus blows that out of the water, because the rich man's still the rich man. Lazarus, well, he's not rich anymore, but he's the same guy. Lazarus, still Lazarus. Abraham, still Abraham. So we retain our personalities when we go to heaven. You know, I've had people ask me through the years, well, I know my loved ones in heaven. Hey, you got a guy here in hell who knows somebody in heaven. Certainly, you're going to know your loved ones in heaven, Okay. Here's the third thing that I find universal. People have conscious awareness and sensation. You're gonna be able to sense, be aware in afterlife. In the the case of hell, the rich man says, send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. He has awareness, he has sensitivity. Notice the, the heaven situation with Lazarus. Abraham said Lazarus received his bad things, but now he's comforted, okay? Um, you know, uh, this is supposed to be a sermon about hell, but I can't keep myself from talking about heaven because this is so cool. That word comforted is neat. Imagine, if you will, this street person. He's covered with sores. He stinks. He's dying. Nobody wants to get close to him. Everybody wants to get away from him. The word comforted that Abraham uses about Lazarus in heaven means everybody's coming around him. People are coming close. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, here's this guy that had nothing in the world, and Abraham said to the guy in hell, hey, you know, down there Lazarus had a tough time, but i tell you right now, everybody's gathered around him, everybody's comforting him. And another thing, you know what? The church should be a little heaven on earth. And shouldn't this be a place where we get around each other and make each other feel comforted and encouraged? That's another sermon. Okay, and you guys do a great job of that. Here's the fourth thing. People seem to be able to remember. In, in hell... Abraham says to the rich man's son, remember. And then in hell, he also remembers that he has five brothers. Hope some of you are not getting hungry for hamburgers. Just my mentioning that. But the Bible does say, son, remember. I've had people tell me through the years, you know, I go to hell. I'm going to get together with my buddies and we're going to party. Let me tell you, I hope nobody here goes to hell and nobody watching television around the world. I'll tell what any, if anyone goes to hell. I'll tell you what you'll do when you go to hell. You'll remember. That's what you'll do. You remember you didn't have to be there. So it does seem that people are able to remember. Here's the fifth thing that I noticed. Destination is finalized in the afterlife. A few moments ago, I asked you to pay attention to the word "fixed." Abraham would say to the man in hell, "There is this great gulf, chasm, space, division that is fixed." In the Greek language, the word fixed there means to set like concrete. In other words, this distance between the people in heaven and in hell is set like concrete. Interesting. Because I could be talking to somebody here today, and you love having your own way more than you love responding to God. And even now, you sense that there is a space between you and God. But you know when you, pour, when you pour cement, when you pour concrete, it's wet at first. And if there's a fence post in it, you can move it around. You can even pull it out. And maybe that's where you are today. You sense that there is space between you and God. But even at this moment, even if you're stubborn as a fence post, you could move that fence post and you could even pull it out because it's not set now. Now, it's firmer than it was a year ago. And it's firmer than it was 10 years ago. And now that you're 45 you can set through a message like this and it just sort of like goes right through your mind because it's setting up. It's setting up. Well, the people in hell, they're there forever. And the people in heaven, they're there forever. It's Jesus' story. You know, someone, had the great Vance Havner, who was a great pastor of yesteryear, or preacher of yesterday, yesteryear, he was preaching on hell, and people came to him after the service and said, why don't you preach the meek and gentle Jesus instead of talking about hell? He said it was the meek and gentle Jesus who told us just about everything we know about hell. It wasn't some wild-eyed prophet. It was Je- Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Well, there are five universals. But I I know I'm supposed to to talk about hell today, but I cannot get my mind off heaven. This is just really cool because I would like to just take you for a few moments to look at some things that Jesus teaches us about the death of Lazarus who goes to heaven. And let's look at some of those. First of all, um, as we think about the death of Lazarus, it seems he didn't die. Uh, Look at this. This is Luke 16, verse 22. The time came when the beggar died. You know, for us in, in our Western world... We look at death as being the cosmic stop sign. We go to our funeral, you know, there's a casket. We go out to the cemetery or we take an urn full of ashes and spread them somewhere. Death looks like the cosmic stop sign, but it's not the meaning of the word death. It means, and I want to give you a literal translation, it means to separate away. In other words, it is the separation of your body from your soul and spirit. See, you are not your body. I can say I see you today, but I don't really see you. I just see your body. I see the house, I see the tent you live in. But the real you that feels loves is cognitive alert, is decision making, that part of you is invisible and you know it is. You can't go to the doctor and say, "Doc, can you fix my personality?" No, because that part of you is invisible to separate away. And here's the weird thing about it. When if you were to read the verse that we just read, then the syntax of it makes sense. The, the grammar, the logic of it makes sense. Let's read it that way. The Bible says the time came when the beggar separated away and the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. It seems he didn't die. Now, I'm, I'm curious. When I read the Bible, I have all kinds of questions. And, and I'm curious as to why... Jesus makes a big deal about the angels carrying him to Abraham's bosom. I mean he's going to heaven. Why talk about the trip? I mean, would you care about that? I mean, if you go into heaven, would you care about the trip? Why why does Jesus take so much time to say he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom? Well, I'll tell you, I think I know why. Because what happened to his body visibly was very ugly. When when that frail, poor, ulcerated street person, starving street person died, nobody took his body to the mortuary. Nobody embalmed his body, put a nice suit on him, took him to a funeral home where they had a funeral, and people sang nice songs, and preacher got up and said nice words. That's That's not what happened, Lazarus. I'll tell you what happened, just keeping it real. Early one morning, the garbage men came with their cart, and they passed the palace that this wealthy man lived in and outside they saw the graying dead remains of a human figure, barely recognizable. But the mouth was wide open and the eyes were in a fixed stare. And they said, that man is dead. And so they held their noses and one of them grabbed one end of him and the other grabbed the other end of him and they tossed him in a cart. And unceremoniously, they took his body down to Gehenna. Where the fires burned 24 hours a day, and they tossed his body up on that fire. So if you had seen what happened to Lazarus on the earth, you would be, you would be sad. I remember a couple years ago, just about well, I think it may have been in July, I was speaking at a huge church in Atlanta. And I believe the day or the before, or maybe a couple days before there was a terrorist incident in Chattanooga. A terrorist had gone to a, a military recruiting center and, sh- and shot some of the people there. And then he went to a naval <clears throat> service center and killed five people there, four Marines and a Navy man. And the reason why I tell you this is I was told, I mean, when I did, I was, this church has two auditoriums, like we have two auditoriums. The main auditorium seats about 6,000 people, so I had security and staff kind of getting me in there to speak, and I just came, came in the front. And as I came in, the staff member said, um, Corporal Skip Wells, one of the young Marines who was killed, his mama is in the service. And I said, well, would you take me to her, please? Because I would like to show honor to her son, and I would like to give my condolences, and most of all, I'd like to have a prayer with her. And it turned out she was, I I would have been positioned about right here on this front seat. And she was in the, I didn't know she was in the row right behind. And so I met her and hugged her and told her how much I honored her son and how sorry I was. And I said, could I have a prayer with you? And I'll never forget, as I began to pray for her, she slipped his dog tags into my hand. And I remember holding those tags and praying for her. Well, I flew back to Wichita. And I was watching CNN or Fox. And there was the bringing of the body home from Chattanooga down I-75 to Atlanta. And there was a long phalanx of military vehicles and police vehicles, lights flashing and flags waving surrounding the hearse that bore the body of Corporal Skip Allen. And I still remember watching that news story and people had gathered on the overpasses over I-75 and soldiers were standing at attention, former military people standing at attention. People had their hands over the heart, and they were cheering as Corporal Skip Allen came home. Now, I don't know how you feel about that kind of thing, but I feel like that's appropriate. I mean, that's as it should be. As I watched that on television, as I held his dog tags in my hand and prayed for his mother, there was a catch in my throat. That's how things should be. But see, that didn't happen to Lazarus Here. But God tells us that the angels came. Now, I was reading in Ezekiel about an angel. They didn't have a better word for chariot. That's all they knew about them. But I'll tell you what. You just take some time and read about that chariot, angel chariot in the book of Exodus. And I promise you, there is no more sophisticated vehicle on Star Wars than that. It is the coolest thing in the world. And so what God is wanting us to know is, hey, there's a little more going on than you can see. The angels came with their cosmic vehicles, and they gave him a lights, flashing flags, waving, escorted welcome into heaven. The rich man, on the other hand, he had, the Bible says he died and was buried. That means he had a big funeral. I mean, you know what? They dressed him up in one of his Armani suits. They put him in a nice casket. They took him down to the funeral home. Everybody came there crying. Paid mourners were there. They sang songs. Some preacher got up and preached him into heaven. And said, oh, he's in a better place now. He's a good man. He was a man of business. He made all kinds of money. He was friends. Oh, man, I mean, these people, they, they told stories about, we play, you know, you know how it is. We live in a world today where most funerals spend all their time looking back on a person's life. That's because with a lot of people, there's nothing to look forward to. Just keeping it straight. And they told all kinds of things about him, and he's like, oh, no. And they went out to the cemetery, and it's very, I mean, and they went back to the church and ate potato salad and drank tea, iced tea, and they said, oh, he was a great man. But the Bible says there's more than you can see going on. In hell, he opened his eyes. He missed his funeral. Well, that's the first thing I notice <clears throat> here about Lazarus. It seemed like he didn't die. He just slipped into heaven. In fact, Jesus would say this in John chapter 11, verse 26, when a couple of his friends, a couple of ladies lost their brother. Jesus used to stay in their house when he would go to Jerusalem, and when their brother died, Jesus said what scholars say are the most profound words in the Bible. He said, I am the resurrection of the life. He, Look at this. He, she who believes in me will live even though he, she dies. Now, think about that. Jesus is saying, even though a person dies, he's still alive. And then look at this. Scholars say this is the most profound statement in the Bible. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Hey, you're alert right now. That part of you, if you're God's child, you're never going to die. I mean, that's why people in NDEs or near-death experiences talk about seeing long hallways and lights. That's because the real you never dies, like Jesus said. Okay, I need to hurry. We need to talk about hell, but I keep wanting to talk about heaven. (laughs) Second thing I learned about heaven is your troubles are over. I love this. Abraham talking to the guy in hell. He said, son, remember that in, life, in your lifetime, you had your good things. Your good things are over now. <laughs> you had your good things. And Lazarus had his evil things. But now... Just that statement means Lazarus is through with all of his trouble. Isn't that great? The reason I want to bring this up is because a lot of you are God followers and you've had a lot of difficulties in your life. Some of you, I know you deal with chronic pain. Every day of your life, you're in pain. Some of you, you had dreams that people snatched away from you. Some of you have been abused and hurt. And like Joseph's story in the Old Testament, it just keeps happening over and over and over. And you say, But I'm a God follower. Well, We'll talk about those things in 2020. But let me just say this. This is good news. If you're God's child, when you slip out of this life, you have just experienced pain for the last time. Your heart has been broken for the last time. You have have known fear for the last time. You have known problems for the last time. When you slip out of this life and you're in the life to come, according to what Jesus said, all your problems are behind you. Well, let's move on. Um, The next thing that I notice about him... Was that Jesus had personal knowledge of him, and we'll talk about that someday. But I really do need to talk about the other guy. I want to talk to you for a few moments about what in hell is he thinking. Because if you read Jesus' story and you try to figure out why this man went to hell, Jesus doesn't tell us a whole lot about him. Notice? I mean, all Jesus tells us about this guy is he wore nice clothes, had comfortable underwear, and he ate well every day. That's all we know. I mean, he had nice clothes, he had very comfortable underwear, and he went to the buffet every day. Now, I'm not going to speak to the underwear part, but let me just talk about the other two parts. He just described every American. I mean, you think about this, clothes are so cheap. I mean, we have closets full of clothes. We give them away because we we don't have room for them in our closets. And then beyond that, food we eat. i just driving down Rock Road, 21st Street. I mean, there's every kind of restaurant. I mean, you know, and here in America, we're so wealthy in America, and food is so cheap. We eat better Indian food than people in India. We eat better Mexican food than Mexicans. We eat better Chinese food than Chinese. I mean, we just have the best food in the world. And is it just me? Like, when you go out to a restaurant and you ask, you know, you get your serving back, I always want to look at that and say, oh, where's the family of six that's going to help me eat this? So, I mean, all we know about this guy is he wore nice clothes, had comfortable underwear, and he ate good food. We just described every American, so if that's what sends you to hell, well, we're in a lot of trouble. But that's not what sent him to hell. You know, one of America's most well-known preachers and writers made a statement several years ago, and I love it. He said, if you let people keep talking, they will tell you about themselves. Hey, if you're in hiring... If you're an HR, you remember that. If you let people keep talking, they'll tell you about themselves. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what this rich man said, because if you listen to what he says in hell, you'll know what in hell he was thinking. And, and here's the thing. He is going to tell us why he's there. I, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in church. I don't know how many of you grew up in church. A lot of you at New Spring didn't, you know, and you're sometimes maybe better off in some ways. But I I grew up with this impression that when people went to hell, that they suddenly got it. You know, like, oh, gosh, I'm in hell, and I wish I'd listened to the preacher. I wish I believed in Jesus, and now I get it. Didn't get it while I was on the earth and had my chance And wow, I wish I could just go back and worship and sing and all those kinds of things. I don't know why I thought that. See, when you go to heaven, your mind is all clear. God gives you that ability. I don't know why I thought people went to hell and got smart. Because they don't seem to. I mean, people, this guy in hell seems to be just as stupid as he was on the earth. And the fact of the matter is, as we listen to him talk, he's going to tell us what he was thinking. And the reason why this is valuable for us, we don't want to go there. Now, let me give you three things real fast. Even in hell, he's so self centered, he still thinks he's a victim. I mean, he winds up in hell, and nothing there about, oh, oh God, I'm sorry I didn't serve you. God, I wish I'd lived for you. I wish I'd taken your plan of salvation. I was a sinner. I don't know what I was thinking. It's like, I'm hot here, and I'm thirsty. I don't know how I got here, but it's a bad place. Man, let me tell you what freaks me out about this. We live in a nation today that is the most blessed nation in the world, but we have made victimhood a cottage industry. It is nuts. I mean, there are people who can cause enormous trouble from all kinds of, I mean, they, they can blow up their marriage and feel like a victim because they got divorced. We got people that can like be a terror at work, and cause so many issues, and underperform, and when they ultimately lose their job, it's everybody else's fault. I'm a victim. Now, here's the problem with that. And and I'm not not denying that all of us are victims, legit victims at times. But here's the thing. When you go to hell and you feel like you're a victim, it tells us something. It tells us that he was very self-centered. Everything revolved around him. <laughs> I, get, I get interviewed by media sometimes, and they'll want to say, "Well, do you think the sin will send somebody to hell?" Or they'll name some sin. Do you think that sin sends you to hell? Well, <laughs> do we? I, sometimes I wonder if we really understand what sin is. See, all those individual acts are just symptoms. The problem is what's inside of us. In my way of thinking, the best definition of sin in the Bible is in Isaiah fifty-three. That's a chapter about Jesus dying for us. It says, all we like sheep have gone our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, here's the thing. If you want to know what sin is, it is just going your own way. It is just having life on your own terms. Now, that can manifest itself in breaking all the Ten Commandments, but at the end of the day, it's not the breaking the Ten Commandments. It's the I'm going to go my own way. And ultimately, he is in hell because he decided all the way through. He was bad to the bone. He was going to go his own way. And I don't know how I got here, and I'm a victim, and I'm thirsty, and I'm hot, and I don't like this place. Notice the second thing. He still doesn't have any room for other people. He thinks other people exist for him. Now, listen, I'll tell you how I came up with this sermon. I've been reading through the Gospels very slowly, meticulously. And so for a couple of months, I was reading through the Gospel of Luke. And and I saw something. I've been preaching on this since I was 16. But I saw something I'd never seen before in his major. I saw that two times, the guy in hell says, send Lazarus. I'm thirsty. I'm hot here. Send Lazarus away from heaven to hell to put his finger in water and cool my, my tongue because I am unhappy here. I have five brothers. I don't want them to come to this place. Send Lazarus. I mean, why does he not get it? He's in hell and in his mind, Lazarus is still as flunky. He thinks people are there for him. Now, I'm not saying just because a person may imbibe in the problem I'm going to talk about that they're going to hell, but I think it's an indicator. It all comes down to things and people. And you and I are on either side of a line. We either love people and use things, or we love things and use people. May I say that again? We either love people and use things, or we love things and we use people to get them. And this is Jesus' story, and it's real clear. Even in hell, he thinks people are there for his benefit. I, right, the world revolves around me, and people are here for me. That will take you to hell, or right, it's a symptom of what will. Third thing. As he still didn't get the plan of salvation. See, that's where I was wrong, New Spring and all of you watching online or on television. I, I always thought that when people went to hell, they got it. It's like, I know the plan of salvation. I wish I'd been saved. But no, 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 no. He still doesn't understand the plan of salvation. I mean, <laughs> he's got five brothers, and he's worried about them. And, and here's the thing. He says to Abraham, I need somebody to go warn them so that they don't come to this place. It's like... Like you would tell somebody, don't eat at that restaurant, I got food poisoning there. Don't stay at that hotel, they don't keep it clean. I mean, it's like he's like, he's not talking about the plan of salvation, he's giving a Yelp review. <laughs> this is a bad place. I got five brothers, they're living screwed-up lives. He didn't say that, he just said, just, just warn them not to come to this place. It's a bad place. One star. <clears throat> Now I don't see anything here about tell them they're lost, tell them to turn to God, or tell them God has a plan of redemption. There's none of that, just warn them not to come to this place. So he doesn't understand how to get to heaven. Now look at this. here's the thing. This this is the biggest thing I'm gonna say to you today. This is where it really does relate to postmodern 21st century America. He's got a plan. See, God has a plan. He's got a plan. And a lot of people like that today. I mean, maybe even here at New Spring today, it's like, well, I know what the Bible says, but I have always thought that this is how people go to heaven. Or in my mind, or my God would never do this, which, of course, your God would never do this because he's a figment of imagination. But there's a real problem with making up your own plan of salvation. But this guy does. Let's watch. He says to Abraham, send Lazarus to my five brothers Give them the Yelp review. This is a bad place. Abraham said, your brothers have the Bible. They should listen to what it has to say. The rich man answered, that is not enough. Are you kidding me? Abraham's in heaven. He's in hell. He's concerned about his brothers. Abraham from heaven is saying, this is what needs to happen. And the guy in hell said, no, that's not right. That's not, I don't want that. That's not my plan. Here's my plan. He said, if somebody were to rise from the dead and go to them, it'd freak them out, and they would. In our translation, says turn from their sins, but really, literally, all it says is change their mind. <laughs> He's like, here's my plan. And my brothers, you know, they're like really sophisticated, postmodern, twenty-first century guys. They're very cool. They're very sophisticated. The Bible's so archaic, you know. I just wouldn't have anything to do with the Bible. But you know what? If somebody came back from the dead, that'd freak them out. That's my plan. Listen. Abraham said, if they won't listen to the Bible, they won't be convinced that somebody rises from the dead. I have some really close friends who are nontheists, And one of my closest, and I believe, I believe he's sincere when he says this. He says, I don't believe in God, but if I ever have proof, I believe. And I, I really believe he's sincere when he tells me that. But I just learned from the Bible, you know what? If you won't take God at his word... You won't believe in. And let me, let me tell you why that's significant. Because there's a chain here, a chain of thinking. Scripture tells us that the way you get into heaven is by faith. It is by putting your faith in God's word. Here's what the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. So that's how God says this thing works. You hear God's word. Some of you are hearing God's word today. It's starting to click for you. You're starting to believe it. You got faith now. You can take that faith and cash it in in heaven. Get the grace of God. But if a person doesn't have any use for God's word, they'll never have faith. They'll never get the thing that God allows you to cash in in heaven to get grace. It's that simple. I can be talking to somebody today and you say, Mark, I really want to get this settled in my heart. I I don't want life to be about me. I don't want to use people. And most of all, I want to be part of God's plan of salvation. Well, I'm I'm two minutes over time. Can I have three more minutes? Okay, let me tell you how to go to heaven. Not not me. This is the Bible. Okay, because what Abraham said, check this out. We're checking it out. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And don't think of death the way you think of it. Think of it in the biblical sense. Separation. This time it's eternal death. It's eternal separation from God. Now, all of you who work on a job, if you're hourly, you get paid hourly wage, you get overtime, you get a check. Wages, work. Wages, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you get paid what you're worth. If you're exempt and you're salaried, you get a salary. You you work, you get a salary. Work, wages. Now, the Bible says the wages of sin go a own way. It's separation from God for eternity. Now, I want to tell you what, guys. If I am happy that there's not a period in a sentence in the Bible, it's that one. Because all of us are sinners. And if the paycheck for sin is hell, then we're all in trouble. One of the most beautiful conjunctions in all the Bible. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. The paycheck for sin is hell, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, through what he did. Okay, you ready? Let's lock down on this. This is in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. The Bible says, it is with your inner person that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth, your outer person, that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, I love this line, anyone who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame. But there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. It's not a racial thing. It's not a gender thing. It's not a, a socioeconomic thing. There's no difference. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For, and, I'll, and you guys know I quote this every week just about for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, if you want to go to heaven, here's how it happens. It's like you just say, I don't want to go my own way anymore. And it's not about me. And it's not about using people. I just need to know how God wants me to think. And I understand that I'm a sinner and I have a problem with it. And I'll have a problem with it all my life but I believe that God loves me. And Jesus went to the cross and he loved me enough to die. If I were the only person on the planet, he would have died for me. And the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for my sins. Three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power and he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if I will come to him from what I've learned in God's word, leverage that, believe that. And now I have faith. I can cash that in in heaven and I can receive the free gift of eternal life. And that's how it happens. Want to do it? Let's do it right now. I want you to pray with me. I'm going to pray these words slowly. These are, are, you know, anyone who calls will be saved, okay? I'm going to pray it slowly. You can decide whether you want to say it to God, line by line. Dear God, I am a sinner. I have a terrible habit of wanting my own way. And I know that's wrong. But I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose in the grave. And before the concrete sets, I want to pull my fence post out. I trust Jesus and Jesus alone for my forgiveness. Turn from my way, and with your help, I follow Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. If you just pray with me a minute from your heart, biggest thing you ever did. Now, I know everybody's going to hurry to go because we're full, but just stay with me. Just one more second, please. If you just pray with me to receive Christ, you can go to any info center on this campus. Take your Talk To Us card. You can get one in the seat back if you don't have one. Just take your Talk To Us card, and all you got to say to them is, I pray with Mark. That's all you got to say. They won't ask you, stalk you, ask for a writing number or anything like that. They want to give you a gift bag. In that gift bag is a new spring Bible, a book I wrote that answers a lot of questions about knowing for sure how you're going to heaven, a DVD, and some other cool stuff. All you got to do is go back and say, I pray with Mark. They'll be delighted to give it to you. Thanks for being here. I'll see you next weekend.